0: Well, talent and people is a huge one because everything's a priority because people are seeing it too. You're not the only one who's seeing it. You're seeing the traction and you probably are out for another round of funding of some level and the cash comes in. Well, when VC or cash comes in the door, guess what happens, Matt? So do your expectations. So your pipeline went maybe from, hey, marketing has to deliver and contribute with the team this much to now it's two to three X. And so that is not easy.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Scott Vaughan. Scott's a seasoned SaaS B2B marketing leader, and during his last gig at Integrate, was instrumental in doubling the annual recurring revenue of their top 50 customers through a highly targeted and high-impact ABM program. Right now, he's advising ambitious businesses on how to scale. So we have lots to learn from. I hope you enjoy.
0: Welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Scott. Thanks for having me. Here we go. We're going to get some mentorship rolling. Indeed.
1: Now, I love a playbook, so I'm excited to get stuck into this one. But before we do, I'd love to know what your relationship is with scaling B2B SaaS companies.
0: Yeah, it's something I've done, you know, different ways throughout my career, but certainly with the change in the models to more of a SaaS, software as a service and a recurring revenue model, I think that's adapted playbooks and go-to-market strategies. So I've been fortunate to do that the last decade or so in different ways. And Matt, what's unique, I've done that for companies I've worked with, including my last one, Integrate, and my team, but I was also, because it was in marketing technology, working with those companies. So you get a front row seat to many different companies and many different leaders and how they're doing it. So there was mentor and mentee in this situation. We're all trying to learn and figure this out.
1: Every day was a school day then by the sounds of
0: it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think it still is by the way, but yes, that was very much it. Oh, good stuff. So when we're talking about startup,
1: then how are we sort of defining the different stages of what a startup does when it grows and from really starting out to actually a high growth business?
0: Well, I think that's a smart question and you don't really realize it until you're kind of through the looking glass or until you've gone through it. But the way I think about it is, is really the market and customer traction how I think about the stages and then therefore what's the plays, the programs, the role of marketing and the role of go-to-market in those phases. But that's what you have to determine. And it can be tough because if you go to founders and CEOs, they think they've got product market fit. Here we go. We just need pipeline, pipeline. That may not be the case at all. And we'll talk a little bit about the things you have to do. Or you may get a VC who's, man, this business is not going or growing, so the pressure's on you all of a sudden to do this and the team. Yeah. So the first thing I really think about is identifying where the company is in the market. Do you have product market fit? Does the product that you have have enough traction and understanding what pains or problems or opportunities is it solving or enabling in the markets that you serve? And you should be in the product market fit 50 to 100 customers selling to mid-market and enterprises. Hmm. If you're selling to small business, obviously that number has to be higher because you have to validate that you have the right solution, you're selling to the right ideal customer profile in general. And that's that balancing act at that first phase that's going to kind of determine your strategy and how you go about it.
1: Yeah. And then the next stage then would be sort of starting to build that sort of go-to-market engine then.
0: That's exactly right, man. And the things that are in consideration there that I learned that you can misstep is a lot of people think now that's our company. Let's go tell everybody our vision. Mm. And many times you have to actually segment. That segment means picking a couple of markets or vertical markets or a couple of use cases or problems you solve and do them really well. That's how you begin to scale. Mm. What happens to a lot of companies is everybody needs this, or you start to sell to everybody or think that you can sell to everybody. And that's the pressure to get pipeline. Hmm. You're hiring sales at this point. You need to feed the system. And so you try to turn on that engine to go too broad. When you build up, that's how you scale. Hmm. What can happen at this phase is you can actually push out and you're scaling this way by adding salespeople, etc. But everybody's kind of chasing things. they are not going after a market that is more natural and defined.
1: Gotcha. So we've got our product market fit. We've got the sort of building the go-to-market engine. And then at what point do you know you are a high-growth business then? How do we sort of define that?
0: Well, the numbers will tell you. The market will tell you. You don't hear from the
1: VC so often.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, rightly so. They want to get a return. There's a lot of seasoned VCs out there that understand this process and understand the signals and the cues to look for. But what you're looking for is, especially in the software as a service, the SaaS, the recurring revenue model. Mm. You're focused on a couple of things now. One is you put team and an effort on expanding and selling to existing customers to help them scale, but also maybe introduce to other geos and business units. So about this time, you really have to have people label it customer marketing. I don't really like that Mm. because it assumes some things. So I think this is more like your strategic account and your build out of teams that are going to focus on growing with those existing customers. And then you still need the new business engine. And in some ways, there are different processes that you have to think about. Again, I don't mean building massive infrastructures, but it's more aiming resources, building your analytics dashboards a little bit differently, and your programs and plays may alter based on what you're trying to do. And that's really when you're going from, okay, we're scaling this up to high growth and we're gonna turn it on. You're still probably under 50 million in ARR, depending on the market, depending on your annual contract value and who you're selling to, but that's that phase. And then as you get in towards 100 million, that's just a different play. What excites me and what I really like is that building phase to here. Once you get here, then you really have to have a different type of organization. Your tech stack and data model have to be at a different phase, et cetera.
1: I can imagine it's the same for lots of different roles, but you do tend to find marketeers suit particular stages. Some marketeers are quite happy going in as that first marketeer into a business and really getting into that second point that you talk about. And then it's, hey, look, I've really enjoyed that. It's been exciting, but I'm actually moving on to the next project. So can it make sense in terms of where you see yourself as well? We're talking about SaaS then, and you know, at a high level, then what do you think is different about marketing as a SaaS business then, perhaps to compare to non-SaaS businesses?
0: Well, two things: you have to earn their business usually every year or every couple of years because you know it's not on-premise to go old school where they buy a license or a software and you run it. It's in the cloud. It's an application in the way they're thinking about it, and you're constantly really showing and proving value. And that requires a different type of communications, a different type of how you support and enable your customers. And that's why I said you typically have a team, Mm. of some form of customer success, et cetera. That's pretty well known. But I'll step back, Matt, just a little bit, just to maybe give some differences in how you go about that. In those earlier phases, the leadership team, VCs, CEOs, they would want to put in a playbook that says, Here's how you build pipeline and demand. And a lot of it's lead-based. Sometimes they don't really care how it's built, but that's what they want. They want outputs because you're hiring salespeople. Mm. In those beginning phases, what I learned is you really want to go out and as you build your go-to-market value and your story and define and narrow in on those use cases that are going to help you get to the next phase where customers see the problem and you become the solution for that, The first thing is you want to go out and try to find who are the advocates in this space, in this market. And it may be new. So you may have to pull them from the periphery, but you really want to be able to talk to those people who are the influencers. They could be analysts. They could be prolific bloggers. They could be your first customers who really get this new thing. Hmm. It could be prospects. So you may not be a customer, but you know they really get it. You want to bring them onto your team, so to speak, and you want to work with them to get all of that right, to get the go-to-market, to to make sure you're communicating the right things and the right value because then they become advocates and that builds from there. That's something that really has worked and it could be the top 20 people or the top 30 or 40 people.
1: Hmm.
0: As a CMO, I spend a lot of time with that group because I want them to help us shape our company and get it right and by the way in many cases they become customers or referrals out of the gate because they believe in the mission Mm. and that is very different than turning on a demand and a lead engine where that requires a larger team it requires a lot more content it requires a lot of things Mm. not that leads are wrong you're still building that engine but that engine isn't at the arrow isn't at the tip of what you're doing in your go-to-market And if you've done this right and you're working in market and you're understanding what the drivers are, you're also not trying to serve, as we talked about earlier, 10 different segments. You want to get two, three, four segments that you know your use case matches that you can really get traction and focus on not just winning business, but adoption, usage, and ultimately advocacy because that's how you build. It's so much easier to build when people tell other people.
1: Well, you're amplifying the message, aren't you? You know, especially as a sort of small team, if you've got a tribe, so to speak, it's a bit like Seth Godin's book, isn't it? About a tribe. But if you've got a tribe, then that tribe can almost be your voice really in the markets.
0: that's a good analogy. And maybe it's the new version of a tribe that becomes your community Mm. because they all talk to each other in most segments and markets. They're talking to each other and back channeling and comparing notes. And today with networking and all the things that you can do. So that stage is often skipped because you can get caught in that trap and everybody wants to build funnels and all of these things, which are really important, but you have to get traction. And that can be as simple as product market fit, maniacal focus to the right use cases, to the right market segments, and then building the advocacy around the people that can help you get through that phase and get your product more into adoption and advocacy and people talking about it.
1: That makes sense. So if we pick the sort of company stage then, perhaps if we're talking about a SaaS business in the very early stages, let's say for instance, you or a marketeer is going in there to set things up. The first marketeer that businesses had then, what would you be thinking about? Because these roles are some of the toughest roles out there. You're time poor, you're resource poor, but you've got a huge amount of expectation.
0: Well, one caveat today, got to be pretty bad if you can't get funding. There's almost $300 billion in funding year to date. Just as an example, there's been 275 billion in IPO as of September, 309 companies. So all that being said, let's just say you're the first marketeer in. It's hopefully not a CMO. It's that first stage where you're going and you're getting a customer base. If I'm playing, I'm the executive or I'm an investor, I want a product marketeer. And I want someone who's more well-rounded in building out some fundamental marketing things. So it's typically maybe a team of three to five to get started, all depending. It may be that it already has some product market fit and it has enough money behind it. You may go to eight to 10, but you're typically not bringing a CMO in at that stage. You're bringing in more hands-on with leadership so they can lead. And product marketing is critical. Why? Why? those use cases, getting that to product roadmap and not trying to build everything, build what's gonna get those use cases maximized in that adoption in play, always with a vision and a roadmap that can be altered, but that is so critical in that discipline. Hmm. It's when you get that product market fit that's there, I think that's when you want your more senior executive to come in for marketing, when you really need to build out the go-to-market engine, which requires many moving parts, including your story, including more of a content engine that can scale, including taking your tech stack and infrastructure to the next level, how you use data, hiring the organization that probably scales from six to eight to 10 to more up into the 14 to 20, mm. where you start to have dedicated web team. We have a dedicated CorpCom team. So you can see those things happen to support this next level of growth, and to accelerate what you've built in those first handful of years or earlier if you hit the slipstream, if the company takes off faster.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting hearing you talk because you can tell you're West Coast America. (laughs) There's investment in the UK and Europe, but a lot of the time there just isn't the same sort of investment. So when you talk about sort of going in as sort of three to five, which makes total sense, by the way, A lot of companies that we speak to who have had funding will start off with a single marketeer and kind of build out from that.
0: That's not unusual. And by the way, one person or something like that is okay, but it's not an army of people that you're hiring. You have to be a Swiss army knife and ability to understand and do some fundamental marketing. And to me, it's also focused heavily on things like sales enablement and getting your basic story down and beginning to find those use cases. It's even more important if that's the case where you're not going to go on a high growth run early that you focus marketing's energy.
1: It's interesting that you say that. So when you say focus in marketing's energy, what do you mean by that? Because some people might think of it, okay, well, I'm going into a new business. I'm going to experiment and experiment wide and see what works. How would you sort of tackle that?
0: If it's that early, the way you're describing as one marketeer, that really focuses on getting your product market fit, your unique value propositions and your use cases. Hmm. And that may take a little bit longer. If you're only hiring one marketer, you haven't felt the lift of immediate traction. So you're right. It's more research oriented. You still are looking for advocates and feedback. It may not be at the same scale and it may not be 30 or 40 people who are advocates and can help you move your company and your market segment forward. But it may be 10 or 20 that you want to get on your team that are genuinely helping you and you're asking for feedback to take that in and get direct interaction. Hmm. You also probably are going to be a little bit more focused on sales enablement in the scenario, Matt, that you outlined where there's one or two marketeers and you're not in that growth phase. Why? Because your salespeople hopefully you hire also have relationships and they are going to go to their customers that they've worked with over time. Again, not all businesses, but this is the ideal scenario but marketing's going to have to ramp pretty fast these days. That's the difference between today and 2 years ago. Yeah. I said I've altered my playbook. Well, let's take a look at that scenario. We go into lockdown nearly 2 years ago, the buying and the selling process changed because of it. The salesperson's not, "Hey, I'm going to be coming through Southampton in a week. Do you have time to meet?" That's not on the table. So the world's gone more digital the buyers who used to meet in a conference room to discuss and do the parameters of what they needed are all working remotely and they may not be as connected. There's so much more digital and many digital touch points. So in order to make that traction, marketing has to play a bigger role in the buying and selling process today than it did two years ago. So that changes the dynamics. My playbook, a big piece of it could be outdated because of these facts and changes. And then lastly, that buyer or the B2B professional may not go back to the old ways because now the company has a different procurement and a different process for purchasing things. So it's really crazy how much it's changed and why I always believe that product marketing has to be fundamental to that earlier stage company because they can help listen and understand in the market and work internally with product and operations and things you need to do to really aim that use case development and ICP, et cetera. Not product marketing on its own. A lot of teams miss that because they assume that it becomes internally focused and this is the solution. And it rarely, rarely ever is. You rarely get it right on your first or second or even third take. It's an evolutionary thing you build on.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more when senior leadership teams are trying to turn on the taps too much and they haven't really figured out those fundamental bits that you would get if you've hired a product marketer. We talked obviously about product fit as being that stage when we go from sort of startup to a sort of mid-growth stage. What is product fit to you? How do you tend to sort of define it in the companies that you've worked for?
0: You heard the phrase, you know it when you see it? (laughs) I have. So one of the things that you have to think about is your total available market. And your investors, rightly so, are asking all the time, how big is this market? How big's the price? And what the art and science there is to define that early traction of the market segments and the use cases. So you want to be able to show that and capture that total available market for the use cases and the market segments you're going to serve with an eye towards what other applications that you can do. And so product market fit is when you're, sell cycles and your buying cycles start to go down. You can see it because I need that, I get it. So you're starting to get it. You're watching the adoption and usage of your actual solution software technology faster. So you see acceleration when you're getting product market fit. And the third sign is when you're getting that feedback, when you're getting more of those advocates in your community on board and your customers are starting to talk about, they're saying tangible things about your solution. It helped me solve X or Y. It really made a difference in A, B, or C. Those are signals that you're looking for in product market fit. Once you know that, then you can open the spigot, so to speak, Mm. and be more assertive and aggressive in going after those market segments. And that's where the more traditional, when we talk about demand gen marketing, starts to kick in okay, let's turn this up. you probably have added some deeper digital talent or deeper demand talent. Your probably marketing team goes from a single person to another person who does analytics or data science. Again, you could start with this if you have the right funding and everything's in line, but you have to build into it.
1: And what about the tech that kind of supports a bigger team then? At what point would you start thinking about that? Earlier on or this sort of stage when you're starting to sort of open up those taps?
0: Today, really early on. Hmm. The difference today is, and I don't know if it's changed, but I think we're much wiser. A few years ago, we would go, hey, we have CRM, a marketing automation system that does some email, and we have a couple of tools. Today, we have much more savvy marketers who are coming in. But the difference that I learned in this case is I would build from the company out. What I mean by that is Whatever systems I put in in marketing must talk to all company systems because oftentimes you're under so much pressure, you're feeling it like we need pipeline, we need this, we need that. You go, forget it. I'm just going to put in my marketing tools and systems that I know, which is great because you have to make traction, but there's no thinking about how they connect to finance and operations. And how about the product input I want to get into my systems? So I know product market fit. I know what customers are doing how about customer success do you want that data in there because i know in a year i'm going to need to be able to run my programs in place for my existing customer base because expansion is a big part of our lifetime value strategy Hmm. so that's the difference i think and many marketers think about that today more cognizantly because you can't have silos you have to be integrated today And I think that's a big difference between three or four years ago and the lessons we've learned.
1: No, indeed, indeed. And when we're sort of getting to that mid-market stage then, how does a sort of marketing team look to you in terms of structure then?
0: What I see happening, your product marketing is probably built out by solutions. You have field marketing in place now that is working in the regions in market with the sales teams locking arms more aggressively. Your CorpCom team is a bit more rounded out. So you have a team working with the analysts, you may have your website in that. Your digital team has deeper talent and more specialty. So there's maybe specialty that works on social, that works across search, that works across third party paid media. You just start to see that more depth is brought to that team as you hit there. And there's no playbook for the exact rules on that. It's thinking that happens. I would say, though, that you start to see things that are more account-focused and more data-rich a lot earlier today. Yeah, There are tools that are maturing out there you can bring in to help you really build your database, to really help you build your intelligence and signals. And man, today, what a difference. We can actually activate some of that. So that may more in the future impact a little bit more tech-centric and data-centric earlier in this process than seven or eight years ago when I went through this process. And that's because there's more predictive intent. There's things that can be used. And if you can do it, you're building really good habits out of the gate. But that's tough. That's a tough call because you have to have the right amount of funding and support and have locked arms with sales and finance and even the executive team to be able to do that.
1: That makes sense. And you talked about obviously having product market fit, you know, you're getting stuff back, your sales cycles are faster, deals are coming through the pipelines bigger. It all sounds too easy in a way. But that must be more challenging in certain aspects. What is some of the challenges of perhaps been a marketeer for that kind of business where you've hit that product market fit and you know maybe the expectations are going even higher what are some of the challenges there then
0: well talent and people is a huge one because everything's a priority because people are seeing it too you're not the only one who's seeing it you're seeing the traction and you probably are out for another round of funding of some level and the cash comes in well when vc or cash comes in the door guess what happens matt So do your expectations. So your pipeline went maybe from, hey, marketing has to deliver and contribute with the team this much to now it's two to three X. And so that is not easy. That's a huge challenge. And that's when you're getting into this scale mindset. And that's why you really have to have technology and a data strategy and a sales enablement strategy that's gonna work. Your content engine, and I'm using content not generically, you move from kind of, we're going to do campaigns to programs and plays. Programs are programmatically connected across sales, marketing, customer success. Plays are more automation. Things get activated and put into market. So your sophistication and the, we need it now. We need it now to your earlier point. And you have to build some of that out. If you've done this a few times, you're anticipating the next phase, especially as the leader in marketing you're laying the groundwork. It's coming. It's coming. This is what we're going to need to do when these things happen. We need to be prepared. doesn't mean it's always perfect, Mm. but at least you have a little bit more foresight now in ability to do that. Because when you hit that slipstream, you thought you were in demand before, your team is going to have a lot of pressure on it to build out to the next level. It's exciting when you talk about it. I'm reliving some of this. <laughs> I'm literally reliving it as you bring it out and talk about that process.
1: Yeah. Well, you talked earlier about hiring a CMO then. At what point would you say a business needs to hire a CMO? We see certainly here some businesses that hire a CMO far too early.
0: I agree with that. And there's no rule book. I want to be clear on that, that you know, it's robotic, that there's a trigger that happens. But the feeling is, I think when you really need a strong, full, integrated go-to-market strategy, hmm. you have customers and traction. It may not be pure market fit, the product market fit, or the team may think they have product market fit, but you need a CMO to make sure that they are the organizing mechanism to work with sales, to work with the executive team, to build out a cohesive go-to-market that maps to your product that identifies your market segments, your ideal customer profiles, and today, ideal customer accounts, Mm. and that engine is in place. When you're starting to anticipate that, that's when you wanna bring in a CMO, someone who can lead that effort and be more holistic and connect all of those individual pieces. Mm. Earlier, you're a marketeer, So you're really focused on really strong marketing functions and it's typically demand and communications and sales enablement. So there's some product marketing in there, but you want to really be able to get that traction. And again, that is looking and seeing and feeling. A lot of CEOs, though, are pretty good at this, I would say, as a general rule. Yeah. And
1: you talked a little bit about CEOs there, which is sort of leading on to the next question a bit. But you know, that relationship between the senior leadership team and marketing is ever so crucial these days. What sort of tips have you got for people who are perhaps landing into maybe their first CMO role or their first leadership role within the marketing team to make sure that's properly in place?
0: You have to earn your seat at the table every day. I wouldn't take that role unless I had a seat at the table. I may fumble it once I get in there, but you have (laughs) to have a seat at the table. Marketing, not just as a profession, but as a function of your company, because of that change in the buying selling process and how noisy most markets are and how overwhelmed B2B professionals, buyers are, marketing is just a critical function. So one is the more cross discipline that you can be, the better. So you don't have to do all the jobs necessary, but you have to understand the function of how to unleash product marketing, how to unleash and when to unleash corporate comm, how do you build a demand engine, Are you the demand engine or are you the revenue engine of a company? So you have to understand those things. Hmm. You have to really have trusted, open relationships with the key stakeholders in the company. And you have to constantly be checking in and sharing what you're doing, how it all works together, sanity checking your strategy, etc. Those are so important. So you're more of a communicator and a collaborator when you're coming in at that phase. And here's the toughest part, man. I don't know if we'll solve this in my career span, but marketing has a reputation. that started 15, 20 years ago in my world where it was, hey, they're the logo and they're the t-shirt and they do events. And we've made tremendous progress because of technology and data and digital and savviness where marketing becomes more critical. But let's not fool each other. CEOs aren't necessarily comfortable with marketing all the time because there's some soft stuff that has to happen. You can't build a brand by, I sent 26,000 emails and this is what happened, or I put out an ad campaign, or I put out a demand campaign, and here's how it all converted. That has to be part of the engine. But if the story isn't there, if the experience and brand isn't there, there are things you're going to have to do and I will tell you, I would bet every time on big impact programs in place over those individual tactics every time. Yeah. And that is something you have to see when you're in a leadership position, say a CMO, et cetera, another piece. You really have to try to think programs, not campaigns. You have to think that We're going to make a play in this market and make that play happen across the whole buyer's journey and with sales and customer success. So it becomes much, I'll say strategic, but strategic in the sense that you're thinking market and company wide. That makes sense.
1: I mean, I hear stories that there are still so many companies that are focused on MQL, MQL, MQL rather than actually the bigger picture of what is the pipeline like and ultimately what sales is marketing driving. It's interesting that you talk about brand because to me, I'm seeing more noise about brand.
0: You're using dangerous words, Matt. You're using <laughs> dangerous words. You may not get a seat at the table. <laughs> You're actually so spot on the way you've described it. And brand, it should be part of everything from your look and feel. One thing I would do differently that I fumbled, I think, at my last gig is I waited too long for that enterprise look and feel. Mm. We were winning customers. Things were happening but I didn't put enough attention. I'm not talking about building brand awareness necessarily. I'm talking about the brand and look and feel and the unified look. Mm. That's one aspect of brand. Brand is also really raising your visibility and awareness and relevancy in a market. And today the good news is you can do that integrated into campaigns in the beginning, programs and plays, and think bigger about that. You don't necessarily have to have a branding team at those stages that we talked about. It just brand has to be taken into consideration across those efforts. And I think it's as important as it's ever been. I think you are also seeing a resurgence to the creativity. Hmm. And I don't mean creative for creative sake, but marketing is the truth well told. And so if you can really capture that and capture the imagination as part of your demand programs, as part of those use cases, today we can use video, And one of the principles that I did not do a good job on a couple of times, show, don't tell. Mm. Too many of us marketers in those early days, tell, 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 a lot of content, tell, tell. Mm. And we really need to try to show and bring to life. And that's really where your use cases and your unique value propositions and really hitting on the pains or the opportunities that can be capitalized on and solved for your full available market or your market segments, depending on what stage you're at.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can think about B2B or B2C, but it essentially is customer to customer, isn't it? So Scott, where do you go to find out more about marketing? Where do you sort of hang out? Do you read any books, any tips for anybody who's sort of an aspiring marketeer who wants to learn more and become a better marketer?
0: I try to shortcut things. And so I really take 5% of my time, maybe more at times to build a network of other marketers. If you're looking to try to solve something build a network that you can back-channel like that. That's the first thing. The second thing is what you do. Find some mentors. (laughs) There's no faster way to sanity check something. You should have mentors who are helping you look ahead, help you sort out some things. You should also look for a back-channel. Hey, I'm at this stage, I'm trying to do this. If you have fellow marketers, they probably have seen that movie before or at least experienced similar things. So instead of having to, well, I'm going to call in eight vendors, I'm going to take six months, you can say, hey, here's my top three, am I right? Who else should I consider? What do you see as the trade-offs here? So you can sanity check is what the word I use in that case. So mentors are critical. They can be inside your company, but man, it's really cool when they're outside because they're not blinded. They can look more critically. And then being able to have that network. Take the time to build those relationships I know there's no time in the day, but man, do they pay off. They will cut cycles like nothing, like crazy, they'll cut cycles. And that's important, especially when we're all a little cynical these days. That helps a lot.
1: Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat, Scott. If people want to reach out to you, want any advice or need some help on some projects, what's the best way of them getting hold of you?
0: LinkedIn, it really is the simplest way. I love to hear from people and authentically hear what they're doing, how they're working. I'm in a huge pay it forward. I have been my whole career, but really that's such a part of who I am now. And I've learned from others, mentors how much fun it is and how much you actually learn both ways. So LinkedIn is a very easy way to reach out and introduce yourself and etc. And of course, no pitching, just authentic relationships.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Scott.
0: Now thanks for having me. And thanks for doing what you do out there. Absolute pleasure. So that's it for another
1: episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.